0: if you have your Bible please turn to Ephesians chapter 6 we did read the passage today and in fact we're just going to be glancing at a phrase but I'd like you to at least be there it's page 830 in the Bible's the church provides we're going to be studying just the first half of verse 14 while you're turning I want to remind you that Satan is known by many descriptions in the Bible last week we started a series in the book of Ephesians on spiritual warfare and we talked in part about our enemy the devil Satan he has many descriptions in the Bible the scariest of all is the fact that he is known as the evil one he is pure evil there is no good in him that is by far and away the scariest description of our adversary, he is evil. There's no mercy, there's no grace, there's no kindness, there's no patience in him. He is the evil one. But think for a minute, if you will, what's the second scariest description of Satan we're given in the Bible? Clearly, that he's evil is the worst, but what is the second scariest? Well, I was going to give you some choices, but you already figured it out. (laughs) It is that he is a deceiver. Think about this. If I were to tempt you, and he's a tempter, you would know it. If I were to oppose you, and he is our adversary, you would know it. If I were to accuse you, you would know it but if I were to deceive you you would have no idea it was going on think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when Eve eats the fruit and God comes to hold her to account and says what have you done she doesn't say Satan tempted me and he wore me down and I finally gave way and ate the fruit she doesn't say he kept attacking me over and over and over again and I couldn't take it anymore and so I finally ate the fruit instead what she says is he deceived me you see when she took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in her hand she actually thought it would bless her she thought this was good he had so deceived her she had no idea What she was doing. And that's a very scary reality. That Satan has the power to deceive. That he is the father of lies. That he is the spreader of darkness. The prince of darkness. And the problem is is that when he is active deceiving people, we don't know that it's going on. This is why we think about Satan as a deceiver, that Paul begins discussing the armor that God has given us in verse 14. In the first half, look at what he says. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is the very first piece of of armor that God describes to us that we have been given to help us stand against our adversary. And the reason this is the first piece is because when you think of the power that Satan has, the scariest thing he can do is deceive us. And so God says, the very first thing I give to you is a belt of truth now when we think about belts we normally think about the thing that you put on last for the Roman soldier this would not be the case it would be the thing you would put on first I have an example of what a Roman soldiers belt might look like here on the platform and this was not something you put over the rest of your armor it was like a girdle or uh, something you wore underneath of your armor you strap this around your waist first and then you put the rest of the armor on it's sort of the thing that holds it in place that everything rests upon that's the imagery that's in mind here that when we think about standing against the evil one when we think about being successful and not allowing him to overcome us the first thing we are to do is to equip ourselves with truth because Satan is the father of lies and he is a deceiver this is very similar if you remember when we were in our 10 commandments of community what was the first commandment talk truthfully so here as we look at the armor the very first piece of armor has to do with equipping ourselves with the truth God has given to us Satan is the father of lies but God has given to us the spirit of truth That he's given us his word, which is truth. That he has placed Jesus himself in our hearts, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that if we are to have any hope of standing against Satan, it begins here with truth. His first weapon is deceit. And our first defense is truth. This morning, as we think about the belt of truth, what I'd like to do is not talk to you about the belt of truth, but I would like to help us as a congregation put on the belt of truth. And in order to do that, what I want to do is go through the eight great lies that Satan tells us. Now, of course, there are an innumerable number of lies that he tells us but these eight seem to be primary to me. Now, I want to say up front, these are lies that Satan tells specifically to Christians. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, Satan is deceiving you, but he uses a different set of lies, a different host of lies with those who are non-Christians. This morning, I want to focus on the lies that he tells to those who are believers because that's really what this passage is talking about. Ephesians 6 is talking about Satan attacking those who have already placed their faith in Christ. So what I want to do is I want to walk through these eight great lies that Satan uses with those of us who are believers line number one if I cannot see God it must mean that he is not here if I can't see God if there's no evidence for God if there's no tangible proof then certainly God must be absent this is the lie that Satan uses with Jesus when he's tempting him in the wilderness for forty days and forty nights Jesus has been alone by himself without food and he's beginning to wonder if God has abandoned him and Satan comes to him at the end of that time and he takes him to a high height and he says jump off and angels will catch you now why would anybody do that? well what Satan is offering to Jesus is tangible proof that God has not abandoned him he says prove it to yourself if you are the son of God Give yourself some assurance. Give yourself something tangible you can sink your teeth into so that you can know after these 40 days of feeling alone, wouldn't it be nice to know that God's here? Make him prove it to you. And the lie that is beneath that is the idea that if we can't see God, he must not be there. And Satan continues to lie to us this way. But in the middle of suffering or the middle of discouragement, he whispers in our ear, God has abandoned you. Where is he? You keep praying. Why doesn't he do something? He says to us, if God was with you, he could have stopped that sexual assault from happening. He must not be around. He must not care. If God was with you, he could heal you. Where is some sort of tangible sign? If there's no visible evidence of God's presence, it's because... He's abandoned us. And that's the lie that Satan is constantly whispering in our ears. But the truth is, God has said the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Never, under no circumstances, no exceptions, he will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. God is always, always, always with us. The lie is if you don't see him, he must not be there. The truth is he's always there. He has never left your side for even the slightest moment. In your darkest day and my darkest day, in the time we felt most abandoned, he's never been gone from us. There is no place that you can go. There is no place that you can be. That God is not present with you. There is nothing that you can do to drive him away from you. He will never leave you or forsake you. First Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy there is evidence of God's presence it may not be visible it may not be tangible but God is present and when God is present there is joy there is peace there is comfort that God brings we want physical tangible signs well heal me if you're here protect me if you're here and God says I am always with you even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we will fear no evil For you are with us. Never, ever, ever will God leave or forsake one of his children. It will never happen. Line number two that Satan tells us. God is withholding good from me. I know what's best for me and he's not allowing me to have it. God is withholding good from me. This was the lie Satan began with in the Garden of Eden. He says to Eve, you're not allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, are you? And then he says, it's because God doesn't want you to have something. If you were to eat of it, you would have, you would be like him, knowing good and evil. He's keeping that from you. God is repressing you. He's holding you back. And this is a lie that Satan continues to tell us. He whispers in our ear, look, don't get serious about God and all that Bible study. You're going to end up, he's going to send you as a missionary to Africa and you're going to be miserable. <laughs> don't follow God. If you do it now, he's going to keep you from enjoying your teenage years and your college years. There's plenty of time in the future. If you follow God, he will stop you from having the fun that you deserve to have. God is a cosmic killjoy. Don't follow him. (laughs) He does tell us that. God's trying to take away your money. He's trying to take away your friends. God wants to keep you from experiencing popularity or from power or success. Satan continues to lie to us and tells us that God has good, but he refuses to give it to us. He tells us, you know what's best for you. You know, if you just had a little more money, if you just had better friends, if you were just married, if you had any of these things, if you you looked different, if you got a better job, then your life would be better. And the implication is God is keeping you from all of those things. But the truth is, Psalm 84, 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. There is not one good thing that God is withholding from you today. We think if I just had more money, if I just could have children, if we just could have healing in this situation, we think it would be better for us, but God says, if it was good, I would give it to you. He says to David, look at all the stuff I've given you. And if it had been too little, I would have given you more. Ephesians says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He says to Israel, look, I got some some land I want to give you, but I'm not going to give it to you all at once. Because if I did, it would destroy you. You can't handle it. So I'm going to give it to you a little bit at a time. That's what he does for us. He only gives us as much good as we can handle. If more money would really be a blessing to us, he would give it to us. But he knows in many of our cases it would be harmful. If healing from this sickness would be in our best interest, he would gladly give it to us. There is no good thing he withholds from those he loves. That's why he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I know you need all this other stuff. And I will give it to you. Line number three. there are no lasting consequences for sin. Sin is not that bad. Line number three that Satan tells, there are no lasting consequences for sin. Sin's not that bad. This too is part of what Satan said to Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. He says to them, what'd God say, if, what would happen if you eat that fruit? you die? No, 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 you're not going to die. There aren't really consequences for those sin. Nothing really that bad is going to happen to you. It's the same lie he continues to tell us today. He whispers in our ear, sexual immorality, that's not really going to damage your soul. Go ahead, you can view pornography. God's going to forgive you for it. What's the big deal? If you get divorced, yes, it, it might hurt for a while, but you'll recover. Everything will be fine. Go ahead, lie to your boss at work. Nobody's ever going to find out. He continues to tell us over and over again, there are no real lasting consequences for sin. It'll be just fine. Do what you want. You'll be able to handle whatever comes down the road. But the truth is, the wages of sin is death. This is a passage being written to Christians now it applies to non-Christians too but when Paul penned that verse he was writing to believers telling them stay away from sin the wages of sin is death when as a believer you commit a sin God disciplines us and it says in Hebrews it hurts. Nobody enjoys being disciplined. He tells us, look, you will reap what you sow. Choose to sin and you will become a slave to sin. You cannot play with fire and not get burned. Sin will always cost us more than we intend to pay. Always. Every situation. If you think, if I make this sinful choice and you try to imagine the consequences, it will always be worse than what you imagine. Because the wages of sin is death. It's true for a Christian or for a non-Christian. Line number four. I'm in charge of my own life. This is the lie that Satan uses with uh, Jewish leaders in John chapter 8. They're interacting with Jesus and Jesus is talking about how they're slaves. And they say, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anybody. We make our own decisions. Nobody tells us what to do. This is the lie Satan continues to tell us. He whispers in our ear, don't listen to that pastor. I'm not involved. I'm not in charge of you. You're in charge of me you're the one telling me what to do you're in charge of your own life don't listen to that guy he's telling you I'm trying to infl- I'm not you're not addicted you could give up drinking anytime you wanted you're in charge you're not a workaholic you could stop working anytime you wanted you're not controlled by money you're in charge of your own life you're the master of your fate the captain of your soul you make your own decisions But the truth is, Paul says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Every single one of us who are believers in Jesus have a choice who we want to be slaves to. You can choose to be a slave to sin still, Or you can choose to be a slave to God. But the point is, we're all working for somebody. That's why James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Either the devil is going to be giving you orders, or God's going to be giving you orders. Somebody is going to be giving us orders. If we're a Christian, then Jesus is our Lord. Which means he's in charge, and we're not. Satan knows we'd never sign up for Satan being in charge. So what he tells us is that we're in charge. And God says, there's no free agents in this world. You're either serving Jesus and working for him or you are working against him. Those are the only two choices. Line number five. God's love for me is conditional on what I do for him. God loves me in proportion to how much I work for him. This is the lie that stands behind Galatians chapter 3, where Paul says to the Galatians, who bewitched you? Who's deceived you? You started out understanding that God's grace is free apart from the works of the law. Now you think that by keeping the law, you're somehow earning God's favor. You have been lied to. And Satan continues to lie to us in the same way. He says, how could God love you? You're a miserable, wretched sinner. Your parents don't even like you. What makes you think God likes you? Missionaries, yeah, God loves them. That's because they're busy working. What are you doing? Maybe if you worked a little more, maybe if you gave a little more, maybe if you stopped being such a couch potato, maybe then God might like you, maybe then he might love you. What have you done for God? Why would God pay any attention to you? But the truth is, that God demonstrated his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we had a chance to do anything good whatsoever, not one single good thing, nothing good. Before we were even born, God said, I'm going to show you how much I love you. It has nothing, nothing to do with what we do. He says, nothing can separate you from the love that I have for you. Nothing. Nothing that we do, nothing that is done to us. God loves us infinitely, absolutely, and completely. We are the apple of his eye. Jesus has said, I have called you my friend. There is nothing that we can do that will make God love us any more or any less. It's because he's all in. He is all in. He loves us totally and completely. And the more work that we do, the more labor that we do, that doesn't change how he loves us at all. There's nothing that can be added to the depth of his love for us. He's already demonstrated that. And that the thing that was most precious to him, his very son, He gave for us before we had done one thing to deserve it. Lie number six God will not come to my rescue. I am my own best hope for help. God's not going to help me, I'm in trouble the only one I can really rely on is me whatever the situation may be seeking guidance from God failing finances coming to grips with our struggle with sin we think God's not gonna ultimately rescue me or Satan tells us well God helps those who help themselves get going use your money Use your wisdom. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're your own best hope. You can't count on anybody else. You're going to be there for you. Nobody else will. And Satan whispers in your ear, he's not coming. You better do something on your own. But the truth is, God says, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Not God helps those who help themselves. Not God's not showing up. You better figure this out on your own. God says, I will fight for you. Sit there and wait. I'm coming. Be still and know that I am God. Because even young men grow weary and faint. They're not able to handle it. But when we wait upon the Lord, then we renew our strength. We mount up with wings as eagles. We run and don't grow weary. We walk and don't grow faint. Be still and know that I am God. I will rescue you. Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Every evil attack. The Lord is coming. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I will fight for you. You need only be still. Cast your cares on Jesus. Because he cares for you. We think we're our own best help. That if we can somehow figure out Through medicine or through wisdom or through finances or through our own political maneuvering, we'll solve this problem. The truth of the matter is our job is to be still. And he will come and rescue us. Line number seven. God has not forgiven me. I can't be forgiven. He still remembers every sin I've ever committed. I should be ashamed of who I am. This lie comes from Satan's role as our accuser. He not only stands before God accusing us, he whispers in our ear, you are a worthless sinner. How could God ever forgive you? Do you think he could ever forgive you for that abortion? Do you think he could ever forgive you for that attempted suicide? Don't you know, and this too is a lie, that that's an unpardonable sin? How could God ever forgive you for abandoning your children? Don't you know you're the reason they turned out this way? Yes, God in general forgives people, but not the stuff you did. You ought to be ashamed of who you are. You keep falling into the sin over and over and over again. You don't think God doesn't know that? You'll never be free of the guilt and the shame. But the truth is God says, This is the covenant I will make with them at that time. That's this time. Covenant means a promise. An oath, a guarantee signed in God's own blood. And this is the covenant. Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. I will not remember them. Do you understand what he's saying? We say to ourselves, but God can't forget. He's God, He can actually forget. And not only can He, He has sworn that He will by a power that is not above him. He swore by himself. Do you understand what this means? If God remembers a sin that you have committed and confessed, he would cease to be God. He has sworn on his life, I will not remember it anymore. Do you know what that means? That when we remind him of that thing that when we did when we were 18 years old, when we bring up to him that thing that we did last week he doesn't know what we're talking about he doesn't remember not because he's a forgetful God but because he has sworn I will not remember blessed is the person whose sins are covered blessed is the man whose transgressions are not counted against them The Lord says, I will separate you and your sin as far as the east is from the west. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Not merciful and kind. Faithful and just because he promised he would. When he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, he's simply living up to what he swore he would do. Now doing it in the first place was an act of mercy. But doing it for us now is an act of justice and faithfulness. That means that eating disorder, the cutting, the lies, the abandonment that you have taken to the Lord and confessed, he doesn't remember. He doesn't view them as being associated with you. Jesus is the one who did those things. Because in Christ, our sin is given to Jesus and his righteousness is given to us. That means all those things you think you did in the past, all those things that I remember doing in the past, God sees Jesus as the one who did them. Crazily enough, I am the one who is completely righteous in his sight. Now there's a corollary to this lie. And the corollary is, Satan tells us, not only that God will not forgive us, He tells us, don't tell anybody around you. If anybody else knew who you really were, they would throw you out of this church. If your spouse knew who you really were, they wouldn't want to be married to you. The corollary to the lie is keep it to yourself. Cover it up. The people around you, their lives are together. If anybody knew what you have done in your past, they would be horrified. God says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. It is true. There are some Christians... For whom if you were to share what you have done in the past, yes, you may experience rejection. Yes, you may experience disgrace. But God has promised that if you confess your sins to one another, he will bring people into your life who are believers, who will accept you, who will show you the grace of God. And when that happens, it will be a reminder that God has forgiven you. Satan tries to tell us, don't tell anybody. God says, the healing process begins when we open up and share, this is who I used to be. This is now who I am in Christ. And line number eight. There is no hope. This is perhaps the greatest lie that Satan tells. That whatever the situation Whether it's demonic oppression, death of a spouse, a child who walks away from the Lord, a ministry assignment that's too difficult, discouraging or depressing thoughts or feelings, a floundering marriage, your own character flaws the demise of a country in which we live and the evil and sin around us, whatever the situation, Satan whispers in our ear, there is no hope. Nothing can be done about this situation. It's always going to be this way and it's only going to get worse. Nothing can help you. Nothing can rescue you. Nothing will ever change. But God says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior. And my God, the things that are impossible with humans are possible with God. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What do we say every week in our benediction? Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. This is what God does regularly. Did you hear what Farhad said? He hadn't seen his mother for 21 years. She lived in Iran. He couldn't get to her. And in four days they met in Turkey and God led her to faith. Satan tells them there's no hope. Is there hope? There's always hope when God is around. There's always hope when He's involved. And if you feel no hope in your situation, if you think these depressive feelings are going to be with me forever, if you think I will never be free of the sinful behavior, If you think this job is going to kill me. If you think I can't see a way to to get out of this financial mess. That's Satan lying to you. And telling you there is no hope. God is the God of all hope. And because he will never leave us or forsake us. There's always hope. And because he is with us every moment of every day. Never withholding any good thing from us. Forgiving our sins and remembering them no more. There's always hope. Always hope. These are the eight great lies that Satan tells us. What we've done this morning is we've put on the belt of truth. This is what Paul's talking about. When he says put on the belt of truth, he means identify the lies that Satan is telling and immerse yourself in the truth of who God is as revealed in Jesus Christ and the spirit of truth. And in the word that the spirit has written. Immerse yourself in that truth so that our eyes might be opened so that we can see the lies that we've been believing. Because at the end of the day, it's not the alcohol, it's not the cutting, it's not the, uh, the depression, it's not any of those... Ex- those are the symptoms. The cause is the lie. And so there's more work yet to do. What I'd like you to do is if you're really struggling with spiritual warfare, if you feel that sort of depression, if you feel that discouragement, if you hear that voice in your head, if you feel like there is no hope, if you feel like you're not forgiven, if you're feeling that darkness in your life, what I want you to do is go home today and find a loved one, a friend, your small group, And I want you to go through those eight lies and honestly ask together, which of these am I believing? Which of these lies have I bought into? Because until you address the lie, the symptoms will persist. If you're here and you're not really feeling that oppression, that spiritual warfare at this moment, I still would encourage you, go home and go through those eight lies. Which ones are you more susceptible to buy into? Which ones have you bought into in the past? Which ones might you be buying into right now? Because Paul says, put on the belt of truth now so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand. Satan's greatest power is that he can deceive us. God counters that power with the word of truth. And that when we first and foremost put on truth, Satan loses his power over us. Stand firm then with the belt of truth securely fastened around your waist. Let's pray together. Lord, we are susceptible to being lied to. We are easily deceived. Sometimes we want to be deceived. Sometimes we want to believe that you're withholding good from us. Sometimes we want to believe that you don't forgive us so that we don't have to forgive ourselves. Lord, for whatever reason, we are a fallen and broken people and we are easily preyed upon. But you are gracious and and merciful. You give us the truth of your word. Lord, I pray right now, God, that you through your spirit would begin to open our eyes that we might see the deceptions that we've, we've been believing. Perhaps some of us here this morning are laboring and working so hard because we think we might possibly get you to like us if we do. Perhaps some of us here are considering sinful choices and rationalizing in our minds that whatever the the consequences will be, they won't be that bad. Perhaps some of us are here this morning and we are in a seemingly hopeless situation. And we walked in this morning thinking, what difference does it make that I'm here? Nothing is ever going to change. God, help us. Open our eyes through the power of your spirit. Let us see the truth of who you are. Jesus, we believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of all truth. Without you, it is hopeless. Please come and open our eyes. Give us the ability to see so that we might be set free. Lord, you are stronger. We ask you to do this so that you might receive glory. Jesus, you are the light of the world and the darkness cannot overcome you. And so we pray this in your name. Amen.